This is Alex Granado, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with Michelle Ellis. She's a science teacher here at Hunter Huss High School in Gastonia. Michelle, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. <laughs> so, Michelle, I just want to start with kind of the basics. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us how long you've been a te- how long you've been a teacher and how you got into it. Uh, I have been a teacher for 18 years. Since year 18, um, I got into it. I know you hear the the cliche of I was at a young age. I was called to do this, and I felt it. But it, it's true. And it was between this and law, actually, and I chose teaching. Do you remember about when uh, you figured out you wanted to be a teacher? Uh, when I was high school, my junior year is when it's like we're going to go into teaching, and then maybe the law can come down in the future. And was there any specific um, thing that was kind of the impetus, like great teachers or anything like that, or was it just something like in the back of your mind you are like, I think I want to be a teacher? Uh, I think for me, well, I know for me, um, having to make that decision – Uh, actually was a financial decision, which is if I go to law school, that is six years. But if I become a teacher that's foreign, I can immediately start making money for my family when I graduate high college. Very cool. So so tell me a little bit about your trajectory. Where did you go to school? Where did you start teaching? Uh, I went to uh, undergrad. As far as undergrad, uh, I went to a couple places. I bounced around each freshman year until I finally graduated from Belmont Abbey. Uh, it was definitely a struggle there. All my credits didn't transfer, so I ended up having to be dual enrolled uh, at Central Piedmont Community College in Belmont Abbey. And so there was times, uh, there was three semesters in a row where I was taking 18 credit hours uh, at Central Piedmont and 18 to 21 at Belmont. It was, it was crazy, but I needed it to finish my associate's degree so I can go right into to teaching. That's crazy. Uh, That's a lot of credits. It it was. It was a whirlwind, but got through it. (laughs) And so where did you start teaching, and and, uh, what was it like? Did the reality meet your expectation? I started teaching in uh, 2002, my first year teaching. And I remember a lot of positive things about it. I also remember that maybe that training that we get in undergrad doesn't completely cover what we have and when we get into the real world, we've got some of the basics, but like I said, that reality doesn't always match up with the extras. And especially when I became a elementary teacher, being an elementary teacher was so hard. You know, <laughs> teaching itself is hard, but being an elementary teacher was very difficult. I, I lived my life at that school to get things done and prepared just for the, the next day. So it was a lot of moving components in elementary. And then two years middle, and this is my fifth year at Hunter Huss High School. And so um, about what year was it that you started teaching? Do you remember? About 2002. 2002. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a lot's happened in education in North Carolina since 2002. Um, how has teaching changed for you? Is, is it is being a teacher now the same as it was back then? Or are kids different or curriculum different? How, how have you experienced the change? As far as the students, they're the, <laughs> the same. You know, the students really, you understand them more. And you learn more about them, and that's the changes that occur. But in reality, they were really the same students we had before. One of the blessings I got to have was when I taught elementary school, teaching some of those kids when I taught middle school and then high school. So the last graduating class we just had in 2019 were the students I taught in elementary. That was the last batch of kids that I had. So it was very nice to see those. There were especially three or four kids in my AP class 
that I got to teach their senior year. So from like fourth and fifth grade to their graduating year, and it was it was awesome. So kids haven't changed as much as I believe we think they have. The same things teachers said before in like 1900 or just some of the same things we say now. So I wonder if you have this experience. I have people I've known uh, since elementary school because I grew up in Raleigh, went to school in Raleigh and, and all that. And when I see them when they're older and they're adults and, and, and maybe they're acting like, you know, cool or something like that or like super professional, I'm like, no, nah, dude, I knew you when you were eight years old. You were not that cool. <laughs> Do you have that with kids where they're in high school and they're starting to act cool and you're like, no, I knew you when you were picking your nose, kid. <laughs> that is true because the one I had, I will not mention any names, but the one of my students, AP students, I was like, he was coming in and he had all this swagger and this and that. And he just tried a little maneuver, like tried to play me, I feel like. And I was like, dude, I remember when you threw up on my shoe when you were in fourth grade. Like, don't, don't do that. Miss Ellis, you know, it's just went a little crazy. I'm like, eh, you know, I've known you for forever. My favorite thing is teaching. And I'm like, you learned this in elementary school. And they're like, no, I didn't. I'm like, I was your teacher in elementary school. I know you learned this in elementary school because I taught you. And it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you can't play that game because <laughs> I was there. So. And so one of the things there's been a lot of talk about in North Carolina this past year has been the need to have a more diverse teacher workforce. Mm -hmm. um, we have a large number of students of color in the state, and um, our teaching population is still overwhelmingly white. Mm -hmm. And so as a teacher of color, uh, I'm wondering, first of all, how important you think that is? Having a diverse teaching population uh, is very important for students to be able to sue who um, who they can be and when they we talk about mentoring programs we want to bring in people of color a diverse group of people so they can see themselves reflected in something so if you have an education system that's predominantly white female where are they going to see the reflection of themselves and that's so one of the reasons and I also took a picture of a old newspaper article that talked about me being homeless and I put a uh, a little sticker on it that says remember your why and I laminate it and now I'm putting it this semester where I can see it because I, I want to remember why I started so that kids could see no matter what background you came from there's still a chance there's still hope you don't have to be stuck where you are and having teachers of color no matter what race your students are has shown research beneficial to all students but if we're lacking behind, like I look at the Leandro report, and I see that students of color and students from poverty, there's issues of North Carolina not um, meeting the needs of those students. I find it very important, especially then, with all that specific to our state, to ensure that we have teachers there that can help guide them through. So I may have similar experiences that you have, but I don't have your exact experiences now. And that's one thing I've taught in my training. I was a latchkey kid back in the day, but it was also what we feel to be a safer time than they're a latchkey kid now. And I was also a only child at the time. All the other ones were older, so I was a baby. But now you have kids that have to, latchkey kids that have to prepare the meals because mom and dad aren't getting home till later. So there's different experiences that can be brought to the table than this one singular um, background. Even if their experiences are not the same. We might just assume, have a bias and say, all white female teachers have this. 
And that may not be the case, but the students are going to see it one way, that they're all going to, they're all the same. And that brings a lack of perspective to the classroom. So you mentioned this newspaper article about your experience being homeless. Um, maybe it might be good for people to hear a little bit about that. You'd like to show it to your students to kind of show them what's possible. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that? Yes, I was, when I was younger, I was more open about it. And as I've gotten older, um, I don't know, I'm not as open as I was before about it with my students. And it was beneficial, I know, to my kids to see that. At the time, I was at Greer um, Middle School when the article came out. And my teammate made a copy for everybody, <laughs> to all the students, because they were like, I want you to be proud of your teacher. And she made a copy. And there was one student, and I've mentioned this before, I think, that uh, in the past that she had, like, a red circle around. And I was like, is she giving me a bullseye? Like, what is happening? Like, I could just see her notebook on the floor. And one day, I decided to pick it up. And she had that red circle on the outside of it said, if she can do it, I can do it. And that's impactful to me to, to see that. But homelessness experienced it twice. And I was at a very young age when I experienced it. Uh, you know, compared to being 41 now, I guess I was sitting there thinking, well, wait, you were a teenager, but still it was, it was a younger age. Um, I think it was uh, elementary school was the first time. And the second time when I was in middle school experiencing that so that was definitely a hard time and you try to hide that um, there's a little bit of pride there I did have teachers that kind of sniffed out something was different and tried to help as best they could with my situation but in the end you're still you know taking driver's ed class and when the driver's ed class drops everybody home and you're being dropped at the motel you're like I was like, yeah, it's a temporary thing. You know, our house is being fumigated. And I was like, just making up stories of why I had to be dropped off here and not there. And we've had times uh, at the Salvation Army. We did have to stay there for points. Uh, so it was very, it's very hard time. And so we know that there are students around North Carolina who are in similar situations. They're trying to do well in school while they were dealing with this issue at home that's very difficult. Um, what was it like for you just trying to be a normal student um, while being in this situation? A benefit for me was, I guess, part again, being somewhat of the only child, being the last one there. That was beneficial to me uh, to be able to, you know, hide from my mom how much it hurt and try to be as normal as possible as you go to school, but feeling you're sh like people still may know, but you know, they don't, they're kind enough at least not to say anything to you at the time. But I try to be as normal as possible and sports really helped. And so I was very active. So I had, I guess, a place after school to go. And I, I do well with, I guess, denial in my head of this is not happening and you're here. And now you, you just, be yourself you just try to be yourself and that was my survival technique I don't worry about what I'm going to go home to I'm going to worry about what I'm doing here and just trying to make connections and friends here but a lot of students don't have that skill um, they're they're constantly thinking about where the next meal is coming from and where I'm going to be so it adds extra stress to them but we just do what makes us survive and I still kept up my grades I still worked hard in class. 
Uh, my mother was an extreme believer of you will do your work. And my mom didn't, it does not have a high education level uh, whatsoever. Uh, so she's like, I can't help you, so you better pay attention. And I think that was also the push of you have to do well in school. This is going to be your route. Education is your only route that you're going to have, which is why it pushed me to be that teacher, uh, something I do quicker. So poverty made a lot of decisions for my future for me and still has a lot of impact on me now. And so that's one experience you can share with your students. And then, you know, I've talked to a lot of teachers of color and um, I've heard them talk about the difficulties of being a teacher of color in a system that's largely been dominated by, you know, white education leaders, white teachers, et cetera. Um, what's your experience been like? What, what is the, the impact on you of, of teaching in this system? And I think I want to, how do I put it? Because I'm going to say some things that are somewhat negative, but I've had positive experience as well. But I think some people don't understand the what we face as educators of color. And I'm not speaking for every single solitary educator of color, and I want that to be known as well. Um, but we face racism in different ways. I expected as a teacher to face racism from... Uh, parents I didn't expect to face racism within and two very distinct instances come to mind when I say that the first one was when I taught um, elementary school we had an administrator who was known for her beliefs uh, very strongly and would make comments that were not appreciated by staff and so for example one of the things she always told me was I'm so glad your mother named you a normal name. And I was like, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> I can't, took me a second. Took it, and every year, I think we were there for like seven years, six or seven years, and every year except for uh, the, the last year we were there, she said that to me. And I think it's because what I said the previous year, you know. And things of when a student was moved from a white teacher to a black teacher, she commented that, well, now he can be with his own kind. And we're like, whoa. And the final straw for me, there were so many things, but the final straw for me was from her, I'm just going to the office to get copies. I'm trying to make the fifth graders realize I'm not there. You know, I want to need to get to the office real quick. I left the copies and get there before, you know, they realize I'm gone and only God knows what happens. And for some reason, she thought it was okay to come around the corner. And she said, do you know so-and-so? I was like, nope, and I'm just, like, trying to find my copies. And she said, you know, he just got in trouble for, and I forgot what it was. And he's so dark, if you turn off the light, all you see was his eyes. (laughs) Okay, now it's about to just, I'm about to lose it. And so I get the copies, I spy him, I go to grab him, she sees I'm mad, and then she grabs me, and I'm just, get away from me. Get Don't talk, don't touch, and she's trying to explain. And it just got to a point I just used the deep, scary voice and told her to get away. So I was like, from that end, but yet you're still the same person that's telling us to teach kids with respect and um, love all kids, and you're here for a reason, this and that. So what you're saying to me, and that those are two separate instances. Uh, so that was one of the, the ways. And then another one, when I was teaching middle school, I had a teammate, and she called me. I, it was one of those teacher work days. And I was driving around campus to pick up one of my friends so we could go to this math session we had to go to. 
And she calls me on the phone and she starts out with this. I've been teaching for so many years and this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, thanks for the, thanks for the recall. You know, what is this about? And she goes, I did not get the gifted class homework. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? And she's trying to explain. I'm like, listen, I've got to go to this meeting. I'll come back. I'll, I'll see you. We'll talk about it. Good God. Like, get over it. And so I go in and I'm like, so-and-so. Okay, explain to me now. Like, what are you talking about? And she explains she did not get the gifted class. She got the class list. She's matching them. And I'm going, okay. And I'm like, there's no pictures. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you know? Like, in both of the things, I'm like, how do, you, how do you know you didn't get the class? She goes, are you serious? I was like, yes, I'm serious. Okay. She says, look. And I'm looking. And I'm confused. And I want her to hurry so I can go do what I need to do. And she says, oh, for God's sakes. And she picks up the list. She goes, read this. Asia, Leandro, Dantasia. And she's reading off the ethnic names. And I'm like, are you serious right now? Garcia. And I was like, so you're telling me you didn't get the gift at homeroom because these names are ethnic names. And I just looked and I said, okay. And I just walked off. I was, There's nothing I could do. So we experience it in different ways. Um, another thing I want to mention is we get, when it comes to children of color, you need to be able to handle all students <laughs> as a teacher, all students. So when you're constantly bringing me your kids of color that aren't behaving and there's an issue, that says more about you than it does say about me because there's a point there where they should feel safe with you. And the fact they're going to recognize, students recognize what you do. And especially when it comes to, they have black male teachers, especially black males, but male teachers of color, they become disciplinarians and deans, and you're putting them in a role. These people could be great in the classroom. They are great in the classroom. This is not the role. So being in a system that sets them up of this is going to be your trajectory instead of giving you the tools you need as an educator, we're going to, we need you to be the disciplinarians. It really is a different mentality for me, and it makes me think back to uh, – I want to say it's a colonial times. I don't know if that far back when you had like an overseer and you're thinking, ha, huh, okay, we're going to have him guard them. So it's that situation type of things. Has it, has it gotten any different for you over time? Has it gotten better or worse? Um, as far as I, I learned to handle things differently. Um, I think there's also, since there's more of an awareness and I've been doing a great deal with equity work uh, that a lot of my colleagues are talking to me um, and asking me questions and trying to better understand. So I think that's an improvement. I haven't had a situation like that in years, so I think that's also better. Um, but that surface, what's underneath, when you think about the system that's still underneath, that's not changing. And so not how would you like it to change because you probably would just want it not to be like that, yeah. right? <laughs> but, but what do you think should be different or should be done differently to affect change? I believe there needs to be an understanding of there is a difference between uh, our normal teacher population. See, and I say normal, and that's, that's that structure right there, but of our traditional teacher population to where 
now there is a move for diversity and there needs to be support for those teachers uh, of color to better help them and also to better help them help the students and other teachers to understand, the traditionalists to understand. And so there has to be more coming together. But that makes it very hard because the hardest thing to change is yourself. And you don't want to see the bias you have. But everybody has bias, and they think it's a bad thing. Oh, I don't see color. And I understand that as a teacher saying I don't see color. I truly do. Um, but also, if you don't see color, you don't see the whole child. And you don't understand the culture. They see what the news, and they see what happens. They're not coming as empty vessels. They have biases from things in the past their family brings. Um, if there was issues there as far as racism and bias and prejudice, they're bringing that with them. So we have to look at them as a whole, a whole individual, and then how we all function as whole individuals inside a classroom. So I think there needs to be awareness, but not just awareness, self-awareness, teaching people how to be self-aware and that it's okay, not okay, but we understand the feelings that you have, not demonizing those in order to make some change. So it, it takes a lot, and it has to start with the educator in the classroom, but that person also needs support to understand the changes that need to be made and why they need to be made. So, Well, Michelle, thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> We've been talking with Michelle Ellis. She's a science teacher at Hunter Huss High School in Gastonia. And I'm Alex Granados, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.